Chapter 6 of Hester, A Story of Contemporary Life by Margaret O. Oliphant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anne Erickson, Toronto. Chapter 6 Neighbors and Relations. In the morning, the inhabitants of the Vernonry were to be seen a little before or after noon, according to the season, appearing and disappearing in the immediate neighborhood of their house. It was a little community perfectly at leisure called out by no work in the morning, returning with no more punctuality than pleased them. As a matter of fact, they were exceedingly punctual, coming and going as by clockwork, supporting their otherwise limp existence by a severe mechanism of rule. Those who have least to do are often most rigorous in thus measuring themselves out. It gives a certain sense of something real in their lives. It was a little after eleven when Mr. Mildmay Vernon appeared. His residence was in the west wing, nearest to the pool and the trees, and he thought it was probably owing to the proximity of the water that his rheumatism troubled him so much in winter. It did not trouble him at this fine season, but he had the habit of leaning on his stick and talking in a querulous voice. He came out with his newspaper to a little summer house where the heat was tempered by the foliage of a great lime. He had very good taste. He liked the flicker of the sunshine which came through those green silken leaves, and the shelter was very grateful when the sun was hot. The worst of it was that the summer-house was not in his portion of the common grounds, and the ladies to whom it ought to have belonged, and to whom it was so convenient to do their work in, resented his constant presence. In winter he seated himself always on a sunny bench which was in front of the windows now belonging to Mrs. John, but she was not as yet aware of this peculiarity. The Miss Vernon Ridgeways occupied the space between Mr. Mildmay's house and Mrs. John's. They were not in the direct line, and they felt that they were treated accordingly, the best of everything being appropriated to those whom Catherine Vernon, who was so proud of her name, considered nearest to the family stock. These ladies were convinced that the blood of the Ridgeways had much enriched the liquid that meandered through the veins of the Vernons, but in Catherine Vernon's presence they kept silence as to this belief. The rooms in the wings were much the best, they thought, and they had even proposed an exchange to Mr. Mildmay when he complained of being so close to the pool. But he had only grinned and had not accepted. He knew better. Of course he would have grumbled if he had been lodged in Windsor Castle, the lady said, but he knew very well in his heart that he had been preferred to the best place. On the other side of the house, towards the road, lived Mrs. Reginald Vernon, the young widow of an officer, with her four children, of whom everybody complained, and an old couple, in reality not Vernon's at all, but relations of Catherine's mother, who were looked down upon by the entire community, and had clearly no business in the vernonry. The old gentleman, Captain Morgan, had been in the navy, and therefore ought to have been the equal of anyone. But the people on the roadside kept themselves very much to themselves. The aristocracy lived on the garden front. When Mrs. John Vernon made her appearance in her deep mourning, there was a great deal of excitement about the place. Mr. Mildmay put down his paper and came out, bowing to the door of the summer-house. "'Between relations, I do not know if any ceremony of introduction is necessary,' he said. "'It gives me great pleasure to welcome you back to England. Poor John and I were once great friends. 
I hope you will allow me to consider myself at once an old acquaintance. Oh, how thankful I shall be for someone to speak to, cried Mrs. John. Though my family were at this county, I seem to have lost sight of everyone that used to know me. A great many changes happen when one has been thirty years away. Poor John, I suppose he never came back to this country again, Mr. Mildmay said with sympathetic curiosity, and that air of knowing all about it which is sometimes so offensive. But Mrs. John was simple-minded. She was not even displeased by the undertone of confidential understanding. Never! It would have broken his heart. What was left to him to come for? He always said that when ladies meddle with business, everything goes wrong. But, dear me, I oughtn't to say so here, Mrs. John added, with a little panic, looking around. Why, you need not be afraid of expressing your sentiments, my dear lady, before me. I have the greatest respect for the ladies. Where would we be without them? Oh, women in our hours of ease, etc., you know but I think that mixed up with business they are entirely out of their place. It changes the natural relations. It creates a false position. John always thought so. But then I was so silly, so dreadfully silly about business, and he thought that women should all be like me. That is certainly the kind of woman that is most attractive to men, said Mr. Mildmay with a gallant bow. And in my time, ladies thought much of that. I hope, however, that you will like this retirement and be happy here. It is very retired, you see, nothing to disturb us. Oh, Mr. Mildmay, I dare say I shall do very well, said Mrs. John, putting her handkerchief to her eyes. But seeing that, she waved her hand towards the front of the white house in the distance. From the window, and knowing every day how things are going on at the bank and all the old associations, I cannot be expected to be very happy. That was not thought of when I came here. My dear lady, Mr. Mildmay said soothingly, and then he saw his way to inflicting another pinprick upon this bleeding heart so easily laid open to him. I suppose you know that Catherine has put her nephew Harry and his sister, he is no more her nephew than I am, one of Gilbert Vernon's boys, but she took a fancy to him in the White House. It belongs to her now, like everything else in the neighborhood. Almost the whole of Redborough is in her hands. Her nephew, said Mrs. John faintly. But she has no nephew. She was an only child. My Hester is nearer to her than anyone else. Then she paused and added with conscious magnanimity, Since I cannot have it, it doesn't matter to me who has got it. We must make ourselves as contented as we can, Hester and I. It was at this moment that the two ladies appeared who considered the summer house their special property. They were tall women with pronounced features and a continual smile, in dresses which had a way of looking scanty and were exactly the same. Their necks were long and their noses large, both which characteristics they held to be evidence of family and condition. They followed each other, one always a step in advance of the other, with a certain pose of their long necks and turn of their shoulders, which made some people think of the flight of two long-necked birds. Mr. Mildmay Vernon, who pretended to some scholarship, called them the Cranes of Ibicus. They arrived thus at the peaceful spot, all checkered with morning light and shade, as with a swoop of wings. "'Dear lady,' said Miss Matilda, 
we should have waited till we could make a formal call and requested the pleasure of your acquaintance as we ought but when we saw you in our summer-house we felt sure that you did not understand the distribution of the place and we hurried out to say that we are delighted to see you in it and quite glad that you should use it as much as ever you please oh cried mrs john much disturbed i am so sorry if i have intruded i had not the least idea that we were sure you had not for everybody knows that mrs john vernon is a lady said the other it is awkward to have no one to introduce us but we must just introduce each other miss martha vernon ridgeway mrs vernon and i am matilda said the spokeswoman with a curtsey we are very glad to see you here at this mrs john made her curtsey too but being unready found nothing to say for she could not be supposed to be glad to see them as everybody knew the sad circumstances in which she had returned to her former home and she seated herself again after her curtsey wishing much that hester was with her hester had a happy knack of either knowing or suggesting something to say we hope you will find yourself comfortable said the two ladies who by dint of always beginning to speak together had the air of making their remarks in common but miss matilda had better wind and a firmer disposition than her sister and always carried the day you are lucky in having the end house which has all the fresh air i am sure we do not grudge you anything but it always makes us feel how we are boxed up that is our house between the wings it is monotonous to see nothing but the garden but we don't complain i am sure i am very sorry mrs john began to say your favourable opinion of the end houses is very complimentary said mr mildmay i wish it were founded on fact my windows look into the pool and draw all the miasma out of it when i have a fire i feel it come in but i say nothing what would be the good of it we are not here only to please ourselves beggars should not be choosers i hope mr mildmay vernon that you will speak for yourself said the sisters we do not consider that such an appellation applies to us we are not obliged i beg to say miss matilda added to live anywhere that does not suit us if we come here as a favour to catherine vernon who makes such a point of having all her relations about her it is not that we are beggars or anything of the sort dear dear me said mrs john clasping her hands i hope nobody thinks that is the case for my poor dear husband's sake and for hester's sake i could never submit catherine offered the house out of kindness nothing but that oh nothing but that said mr mildmay vernon with a sneer nothing at all but that said the miss vernon ridgeways she said to us i am sure that it would be a favour to herself a personal favour don't you remember martha nothing else would induce us as you may suppose mrs john my sister and me who have many friends and resources to put up with a little pokey place the worst quite the worst here but dear catherine is very lonely she is not a person you know that can do with everybody you must understand her before you can get on with her shouldn't you say so and she is perhaps you know a little too fond of her own way people who can't make allowances as relatives do are apt not to like her in short and it is such a great stand-by for her such a comfort to have us here i should have thought she was very independent 
said Mrs. John, faltering a little. She did not even venture to risk an opinion, but something she was obliged to say. But I can scarcely say I know her, she added anxiously, for it is thirty years since I was at Redborough, and people change so much. She was young then. Young? She must have been nearly forty. Her character must have been what one may call formed by that time, said Mr. Mildmay. But I know what you mean. Our dear Catherine, whom we are all so fond of, "'You are quite right,' said Miss Matilda emphatically. "'Quite right, though perhaps you mean something different, "'for gentlemen are always so strange. "'We are very fond of dear Catherine, "'all the more so that many people misunderstand her "'and take wrong ideas. "'I think indeed that you require to be a relation "'to enter into the peculiarities of the case "'and take everything into consideration "'before you can do dear Catherine justice. "'She is so good,' but under such a brusque exterior. Though she never means to hurt anyone's feelings, that I am certain of. Oh, never, cried Mr. Mildmay with mock enthusiasm, lifting up his hands and eyes. Mrs. John looked, as each spoke, from one to the other with a great deal of perplexity. It had seemed to her simple mind at first that it was to be with a real enthusiasm that their general benefactress was being discussed, but by this time she had begun to feel the influence of the undertone. She was foolish, but there was no rancor in her mind. So gentle a little shaft as that which she had herself shot in vindication as she thought of her husband, rather than as assailing his successor, she might be capable of. But systematic disparagement puzzled the poor lady. She looked first at the Miss Vernon Ridgeways, and then at Mr. Mildmay Vernon, with a bewildered look, trying to make out what they meant, and then she was moved to make to the conversation a contribution of her own. "'I am afraid my little girl made a sad mistake last night,' she said. "'Catherine was so kind as to come to see me, without ceremony, and I had gone to bed.' "'That was so like Catherine,' the Miss Vernon Ridgeways cried. "'Now anybody else would have come next day at soonest to let you have time to rest and get over your journey.' but that is just what she would be sure to do impatience is a great defect in her character it must be allowed she wanted you to be delighted and to tell her how beautiful everything was it must be confessed it is a little tiresome you must praise everything and tell her you are so comfortable one wouldn't like it in anybody else but that is what i regret so much continued poor mrs john is that hester my little girl who had never heard of catherine she is tall but she is only fourteen and such a child don't you know she would not let her in i am afraid she was quite rude to her here mrs john's artless story was interrupted by a series of little cheers from mr mildmay and titters from the two sisters brava he said well done taking away mrs john's breath while the two ladies uttered little laughs and titterings and exchanged glances of pleasure. "'Oh, how very funny!' they cried. "'Oh, what an amusing thing to happen! Dear Catherine, what a snub for her! How I wish we had been there to see!' "'I should like to make acquaintance with your little Hester, my dear lady,' said Mr. Mildmay. "'She must have a fine spirit. Our respected cousin Catherine is only human, and we all feel that to be opposed now and then would be for her moral advantage. 
We flatter her ourselves, being grown-up persons, but we like to know that she encounters something now and then that will be for her good. I must again ask you to speak for yourself, Mr. Mildmay, said the sisters. Flattery is not an art I am acquainted with. Dear, dear, what a sad thing for a beginning. How nervous it must have made you, and knowing that dear Catherine, though she is so generous, cannot forgive a jest. She has no sense of humor. It is a great pity. She will not, I fear, see the fun of it as we do. Do you think, said Mrs. John, with a little tremor, that she will be dreadfully angry? Hester is such a child, and then she didn't know. The sisters both shook their heads upon their long necks. They wished no particular harm to Mrs. John, but they would not have been sorry so to frighten her, as that she should go away as she came. And they sincerely believed Catherine to be as they represented her. Few people are capable of misrepresenting goodness in the barefaced way of saying one thing while they believe another. Most commonly they have made out of shreds and patches of observation and dislike a fictitious figure meriting all their anger and contempt, to which they attach the unloved name. Catherine Vernon, according to their picture of her, was a woman who, being richer than they, helped them all with an ostentatious benevolence, which was her justification for humiliating them whenever she had a chance, and treating them at all times as her inferiors and pensioners. Perhaps they would themselves have done so in Catherine Vernon's place. This, at all events, was the way in which they had painted her to themselves. They had grown to believe that she was all this, and to expect her to act in accordance with the character they had given her. When the sun shone into the summer-house and routed the little company, which happened just about the time when the meal which they called luncheon, but to which most of them was dinner, was ready, Mrs. John carried back with her to her new home a tremulous conviction that any sort of vengeance was possible. She might be turned out of this shelter, or she might be made to feel that her life was a burden. And yet, when she got back to the low, cool room in which Hester, doubtful of Betsy's powers, was superintending the laying out of the table, it seemed to her, in the prospect of losing it, more desirable than it had been before. There were three windows in deep recesses, one of them with a cheerful outlook along the road that skirted the common, in which was placed a soft, luxurious chair, which was exactly what Mrs. John liked. Nothing could have been more grateful coming out of the sunshine than the coolness of this brown room, with all the little glimmers of light in the polished wainscot and the pretty old-fashioned furniture. Mrs. John sighed as she placed herself in the chair at the window, and the smell of the dish which Betsy soon after put upon the table was very appetizing. It turned out to be nicely cooked, and the table was laid with fine linen and pretty crystal and old-fashioned silver, everything complete. The poor lady in her wandering and unsettled life had lost almost all this needful garniture which makes life so much more seemly and smooth. She had been used to lodging-houses, to pensions, greasy and public, to the vulgarity of inns, and all this daintiness and freshness charmed her with a sense of repose and personal property. She could have cried to think that it might be put in jeopardy by Hester's childish petulance. Oh, why did I let you persuade me to go to bed? Why didn't I stay up? I could have done it quite well, and see Catherine Vernon. Why are you so self-willed, child? I think I could be happy here, 
at least as happy as I can ever be now, and what if I must give it all up again for you? Mother, if we have to give it up, we will do better, said Hester, a little pale. We shall get pretty lodgings like Ruth Pinch, and I will give lessons, and it will not matter about Cousin Catherine. Oh, child, child, what do you know about it? Mrs. John said. End of chapter 6